All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall. Thanks for tuning in today and joining me for this episode. Today's episode is a happy, chipper, you know, fantastic, just make you feel uplifted and great about yourself episode about sin. No, but for real, they are talking about sin, but not in a way that's like, you ought to feel bad about yourself right now, but more like, let's talk about how Satan works and the ways that he tricks us and lures us into sin and lures us into division and to be against each other. And if you remember 2020, that was happening a lot, especially in the church. So it's a super important episode. I think you're really going to enjoy it. This clip was taken from another Theology Thursday, which airs inside the Discipleship.org Collective, hosted by Daniel McCoy and Renee Sproles. So here we go. Let's listen to what they have to say. Welcome to Theology Thursdays. I'm Daniel. And I'm Renee Sproles. And uh, yeah, thanks for being with us here. We're talking about sin, uh, which isn't necessarily a fun topic, um, but why are we talking about it, you know? And, and is, uh, is, is sin an important thing to talk about? Don't we all kind of already agree on what sin is, or has there been any kind of shift? What do you, what do you think, Renee? Well, culturally, I think there's been a big shift. So just observing uh, America, best I can determine, sin is basically failing to live up to your authentic self or like enact your own reality, whatever that is you dream up in your head. And if you don't self-actualize, like that's sinful. Or if you prevent someone from being able to um, live out their own personal reality, then that's sinful. Mm. Otherwise, you know, almost any behavior, any kind of thought um, is on the table. But the Bible is way more nuanced than that. It's way more practical than that. And you see all these dimensions of sin that really help us understand, you know, our need for rescue. So you see sin as idolatry, sin as rebellion, sin as described as missing the mark, sin as um depravity, sin as sickness, there's all different facets of sin. And so until we get a real robust understanding of that, we're going to be kind of left hmm. wondering why we do the things we do. And, and unable to navigate reality. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. And, and I think if when we stop losing the sinfulness of sin, as God puts it in the Bible, um, there are a lot of dominoes that fall. And so one of those would be, you know, that obviously if, if sin isn't sinful, then uh, God's wrath is just kind of ridiculous. Um, you know, the cross is is completely unnecessary. Um, salvation, getting saved is, is un- completely unimportant. Um, things like hell are completely unthinkable. And so, you know, if if we lose that point of the, of the sinfulness of sin, what's the point of Christianity? So I think this is a very important discussion. And we had a great conversation with Anessa Westbrook. You want to talk just a little bit about who she is and then we'll, we'll jump into the video. Yeah. So I think we introduce her fully on the video, but she is a professor at Harding university and she works with um, a lot of young women. And she so she has a lot of practical um, really down to earth discipleship kind of perspective of what sin is and how, um, how we can deal with it in healthy ways and how we can deal with it in unhealthy ways and how we can understand it better and maybe help the people that we're mentoring understand it better in a way that they can, um, you know, move forward and move past it and, and be more sanctified as they walk with the Lord. 
Yeah, yeah, very helpful. So very practical discussion. I think you're gonna really appreciate the conversation, those who are watching. So, all right, let's jump into the video. Welcome to Theology Thursdays. Today, we are going to talk about the problem of sin. And joining us is Dr. Anessa Westbrook. She serves as an assistant professor in the College of Bible and Ministry at Harding University. And after graduating there in 1995 with a BA in psychology, she and her husband served as missionaries to Hungary for eight years. Anessa holds a Master of Arts in Church Growth and a Master of Divinity from Harding School of Theology. She also completed a women's ministry certificate from New Orleans Baptist. She's been teaching at Harding University since the spring of 2016, joining the Bible faculty full-time in August 2014. She completed her Doctor of Ministry degree at Fuller Theological Seminary in June 2015. In addition to her teaching responsibilities, Anessa is a regular speaker at women's events and has written several Bible study series for Christian Woman Magazine. She coordinates the Women in God's Service Conference, which is sponsored by the College of Bible and Ministry and the Women's Program at Harding University Lectureship. She works extensively with women preparing to enter ministry and with women seeking to be active in their local congregations after college. Thank you for being here, Anessa. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you all today. Well, let's get started. The good news of the gospel is only really good to us when we heard the bad news. And today we're talking about the bad news, sin. So on the one hand, we have a lot of progressive Christians today who view humanity as basically good. And really, on the other hand, a lot of Bible-believing Christians also tend to think, you know, sin is kind of a rare exception in my life. So what has God revealed to us in the Bible about what sin is and its consequences? All right. Well, sin is, of course, what separates us from God. So anything that separates us from God uh, that is going to be in that realm of sin. And so that is the bad news. And also, I mean, I don't know, this isn't good news, but humanity has had a very hard time being faithful. So this struggle, this this is not something that we alone struggle with. And I know when I'm talking with my students, one of the things that I always tell them is we all struggle. And if we're at that point where we think, okay, well, I'm the only one that has this problem. I mean, we're actually weaker. You know, God has given us this beautiful gift of the church. He's given us this beautiful gift of salvation. And he has worked with his people to, to try to create an avenue to try to heal this rift, you know, ever since he was working with the Jews. And so sin, it, it is something that is is very, it, like you said, this is like the bad news. But the good news is that God loves us and he's wanting to reach out and, and to do that. So it, one of the things that uh, I sometimes ask my, my classes or sometimes ask a crowd is who is without sin, you know, because I feel like a lot of times we walk around and we act like it's not a big deal. We act like, okay, well, you know, I'm a good person and I don't really have any major issues. So we kind of act like we don't have sin. But when I ask that question in front of those crowds, nobody ever raises their hand. I've never had anybody raise their hand and say that they're perfect. And, you know, in First in John, uh, we read that if we say we're without sin, well, we're deceiving ourselves. We're all, we all have sin. 
Uh, Romans 3.23, we have all fallen short. The only perfect person was Jesus. And we spend our entire lives trying to become like him, trying to be as Jesus-like as we can, but we're never going to be perfect. We're always going to mess up and we're always going to need God's grace. So sin is the bad news, but it's also, it's the good news because that's exactly what God is trying to save us from. So, yeah. And when the Bible talks about sin, it often uses the the phrase, you know, walking according to the flesh. Oh yeah. Kind of like doing what comes naturally. And so, um, you know, should we, should we feel bad for doing what comes naturally or, I mean, or should we just stay as far away from our fleshly desires as possible? I mean, how does that work uh, in a faithful life? Right. Well, I mean, walking by the flesh, that phrase, I mean, that's definitely something that I point out when we come across it in the classroom, because it's when we're trying to do things our own way, using our own wisdom and our own logic that we get into trouble You can see that in the Old Testament when the Israelite kings, when there's their own like political prowess or whatever to try to take care of Israel and they didn't seek God and they didn't seek his direction. That's when they got into trouble. I mean, take a look at Adam and Eve. What were they doing in the garden? You know, that's where sin's first entering into the world. Well, they were trying to have knowledge. You know, they were trying to do things their own way with that, with that knowledge And that's really, I mean, that's where we start to get ourselves into trouble. And I feel like it's important to bring that up because like a lot of times when we're talking about living by the flesh, I mean, we're thinking about stuff that's like, we're doing what we want to do. So this sounds good to me at the time, or we're justifying things. Well, that's not a big deal if I get involved with that. Everybody's doing it. And as junior high as that sounds, I mean, are adults really that different? We also make those same types of justifications. So, but we also, we need to consider how, if when we're trying to do things our own way, then that is also a big area where we can get in trouble. So, And then the Bible talks about, you know, walking in the spirit as kind of the opposite or the antidote to, you know, walking the flesh. And what is that, what does that look like in, in relation to our natural urges, I mean, is it just a completely foreign, almost impossible concept to try to walk in the spirit? Or, or is that something that, uh, you know, is actually is actually doable? Yeah, well, think of David. I mean, David, even though he is a very respected king, he definitely, he walked in the flesh at different moments in his life. But he was called somebody who tried to seek God's heart. He tried to follow God's will. And I feel like if we're doing that, if we can focus ourselves on what is the will of God in this situation, in my life, and just keep that in mind, be prayerful, you know, like look for direction and try to like review how we're living, what we're doing. Is this activity, is this attitude, is this something that needs to be in my life? Mm -hmm. Then that's going to help us walk by the Spirit. That makes me think about um, conversations I've had through the years um, with people who are struggling with really difficult sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a, of a friend uh, when we lived in North Carolina who was struggling with homosexuality. 
And uh, he finally decided I'm going to act on that. I've tried to live this other way for, you know, my adult life. And I'll, now I'm, I'm just going to marry this guy. We're going to do it. And he said to me, you know, Renee, I've never felt happier. It's ne- this, this feels the easiest and the best, mm-hmm. like my whole like twenties and early thirties have been a struggle. And that really, that really struck me that like none of us is immune. I am not immune to um, like the flesh feels right mm-hmm. in some ways. A lot of times we're, yeah. don't you, do you see that with your students? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when we're doing what we want to do and we're, we're doing something how we want to do it, then of course, I mean, that feels good. That feels easy. But even when we're like making a decision, let's even take this out of the spiritual realm we know we need to do something. And the little pep talks I give my students, mm-hmm. yes, you need to get out of bed. Yes, it feels fantastic to be in bed all day, but that's not what you need. You need to get started on your paper. That will actually, you'll feel better in the end. But right now at the beginning, maybe a little hard. So yeah, when we're just kind of floating along, that's that's always easier. But yeah. Yeah, I think of, of like uh, I don't want to take us too far afield because Daniel knows this isn't on the this isn't on the list of questions. But I'm thinking we're like, going off script. <laughs> our feelings, <laughs> our feelings were given to us by God to, mm-hmm. to indicate you know important information, and yet uh, we can be deceived, oh, and sometimes yeah. they give us wrong information, mm-hmm. and that's where like the spirit comes in, the word right. comes in. And it's like whoa, no, no, mm-hmm. you know this feels right, but it, it doesn't, and then. Eventually it does feel right is the beautiful thing. In sanctification, it it does feel right. Yeah. All right. And and one of the things, let me, let me kind of comment on that too. And I'm glad that you brought that up, that it does feel right later. Because Mm -hmm. when we're walking with God, when we're actively growing in him, when we're discovering and using our spiritual gifts, we're actually acting in a way and living out those gifts in a way that God created us to do. And that absolutely feels right. You know, one of the things that I try to help uh, the girls that I work with discover is their spiritual gifting so that they know how to serve in the church. So they know, you know, what God has given them. And when we have that feeling when we're trying to grow and we're doing something and it feels right, that's a pretty good indicator that we're on the right path with spiritual gift discovery, which is a topic, but I think it relates. Yeah, because you it is part of walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. Oh, yeah. yeah, such yeah. good news, such good news. All right, so that's one aspect of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, then we see, I think it's like Ephesians 2, Paul says, you were dead in the trespasses of your sin in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. So let's talk about the world. Yeah. What, is, what do we, what do we, what is God telling us when he talks about sin in terms of the world? Yeah. Well, John really loves that term. And one of the beautiful things that he does is, especially in the gospel of John, he uses it as a dichotomy. So you have the world and then you've got that versus how we're supposed to be living. So let's just talk about that word just for a second. So in one of the classes that I teach is Gospel of John. So I spend quite a bit of time talking about this particular uh, idea, but it could be like the earth, like the creation of God. Uh, It could be humanity, or it could be the evil satanic system that's controlling our world. And so that's the one that 
that I think we should focus on here. But when I know when going back to the Gospel of John here, when it's written, I feel like there are so many parallels with where we are today because he was trying to encourage the Christians who said that they believed, but to varying levels. So these are Jewish Christians, probably to varying levels were open with their faith. So some had been open with their faith, had been pushed out of the synagogues, had paid that price of losing family, friends, jobs, everything for their faith. And then some who were like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if I want to share my faith. There's too much at stake. And he's really, he's trying to encourage both ends. So on the one end, people that had lost it all, you made the right choice. On the other end, people who weren't sure how open they wanted to be, he was trying to encourage them to step out. This is the right choice. And so this idea of, you know, the world, this satanic system, well, you know, I think we can really identify with what that feels like, what that looks like. And we're tempted to not stand up to sin. We're tempted to, um, you know, justify something, to be controlled by that. But he's saying, you know, you've got to have the struggle to figure out how to be in this world where we're a part of this system that's run by Satan, not run by God. And then figure out how to interact, to minister. How are we in the world, but not of the world? And just John's writings are beautiful for this particular topic. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's good. So I was on CNN the other day, not on, I was, I was reading CNN <laughs> and, uh, and they had an article that caught my eye and it was, um, you know, something about like, what are your guiltiest sins? And so I clicked on it and it was like, it's eating this kind of food and it's eating this kind of food and eating, um, <laughs> You know, a little, little different of a, of a take on the word sin than what we're used to in, in Christian mm-hmm. circles. Um, you know, culturally, it would seem like the greatest sins uh, nowadays might be things like, um, you know, not taking care of the earth as well as mm-hmm. we should. You know, maybe not recycling like we should. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of systemic uh, types of, of sin, you know, uh, not, not uh, working for justice initiatives, that sort of thing. And obviously these are important things, um, but the Bible really emphasizes the inner life. Culturally, it seems like we've moved past that and we kind of see sin as, you know, at least the sins that really matter as being very outward, very systemic type things. So, you know, could you kind of explain how or why we should see the internal life as important when we're talking about sin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and let me talk about this a little bit from an evangelistic perspective too. And so one of the things that I think is really important is that we look at what our society is concerned about. So in this particular case, you brought up two topics. So we've got basically environmentalism and we have justice issues. And so let's, let's talk about environmentalism. Uh, If we did a poll at church, if we said, Hey, are we supposed to take care of the earth? As a kid, anyway, I was a little bit concerned or wondered how we might vote on that. You know, are people going to say, oh, no, absolutely not, because there was almost a worship, worshiping of the earth type movement that was going on when I was younger. But I feel like our, our churches would say, 
yeah, we, you know, we should definitely, we should take care of our environment. We should take care of the world. So we have something in common. So we can look back at the stewardship that was given to Adam. And then we can look at what their concerns are. And we have a little bit of common ground. And so I feel like this is kind of an interesting point because it can help inform us a bit. How can we create conversations with people? So, and there's obviously some very, you know, some very fine lines. It shouldn't be all about those things. But did Jesus care, you know, about justice? Well, sure. He treated everybody the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did God care about people who were being mistreated, the orphan, the widow? Absolutely. They were very close to his heart. So we do have something to say about those. And I feel like finding that common ground is, is a good place to start, but that's not the end all. You know, we have to look at sin and look at what God wants from us on definitely a broader scale too. So that's, that's good. a good point about a touch point for evangelism, because um, I think like, at least for myself to be prepared to have that kind of conversation, I need to think it through ahead of time. Yeah. And to be wise in, I have to think stuff through ahead of time too. So yeah, to be wise and go, Hey, that's a great, like we have this in common and, mm-hmm. and my motivation might be just a little bit different than yours. Let me tell you, you know, right. let me tell you why <laughs> that's great. It's a good thought. Yeah. Well, okay. A little bit more about the world here. I, okay. I think we probably have always, people have always been tempted to conform to the world culture around them. But um, because America was kind of culturally Christian for a long (laughs) time. We kind of didn't really, I mean, I don't think I did. I'm a child of the seventies. I didn't feel like I was swimming against this, the current of culture Mm -hmm. in the eighties or nineties. I didn't really feel it. And so I'm feeling it now. I'm feeling it now. Like, you know, I, I pause before I say things or maybe post something uh, for the public to see or read. So there's definitely pressure for us to conform. Can you, can you give us some helpful hints? Yeah. How can we not do that? You know, and how can we, um, yeah, how can we do better, but not be that finger wagging kind of angry person? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it's kind of like we've been a frog in a pot. So (laughs) that water has been heating up slowly. And then suddenly we realize, oh, this isn't the place where we thought we, we were. And it, it is interesting because I know, right before I started my doctorate, and one of the reasons I actually chose to go to Fuller is because I I was struggling with how do I help my students be able to figure out how to interact with the world? How do I give them hope? You know, how do I give them tools to do that? Um, when we think that we're in an environment that is mostly Christian, we don't have to think twice before we post something. We don't have to think twice before we say something. And It really, uh, that's easier going back to the word easy again, but it's almost a little bit of a disservice because we don't have to make a firm decision. We can just float along and and we can do that. And so I, I think that that's positive. I think we can view that in a positive light, even though it's more difficult in certain, you know, in certain situations, because we do have to be intentional. Uh, one of the things that's been a really big problem over, I mean, probably since well before I was ever on this earth, but and that's the idea of arm's length Christianity, where we're like, okay, 
well, we're actually pretty good because they're doing that over there, but I'm not. And then what they do moves and then we find ourselves moving. So we've actually connected ourselves to culture. Mm-hmm. You know, we, everybody has a desire to fit in. Mm-hmm. And so it, we just don't want to be too weird. Uh, we may not want to do that thing. We may understand that that's wrong, but at the same time, we're not doing it, you know, like they're doing it. Mm-hmm. I know for my husband and I, when we would come back on furloughs, it was pretty shocking to see how something like media had changed in just a couple of years. So something that wouldn't have been acceptable two years later, you know, they were doing more of that. And it's just interesting to see that cultural shift because you wouldn't think that there would be that much change in just a couple of of years, you know, so, but yeah, arm's length Christianity and not taking stances. Of course, there's a big push not to be judgmental, which is not good to be judgmental from an evangelistic perspective because we do need to find that common ground. But at the same time, you know, we have to be able to make a judgment that this is right or this is wrong. This fits with the Bible. This fits with Christianity or it doesn't. And so I I try to help my students hear the difference between those two words. So, yeah. And don't you think um, like community is going to be super important? I mean, it always has been, but I think, you know, once you are weird, (laughs) you once you're like yeah you know I'm not I can't do that I can't um as Rod Dreher says um in his book live not by lies I I can at least not agree with the lie I can at least not speak something that's not true Mm -hmm. once you do that you know like you're gonna need community more than ever Mm -hmm. um that those are your people you know because you're not gonna have anybody else yeah and that's exactly what's been hit with the pandemic Mm-hmm. I hear so many people talking about the lack of community. I really feel like churches right now need to be focusing on creating community. And just one example of something I'm involved with this week, our women's ministry at College Church, we decided just to do some fun things just to try to get people together. So we're having like a paint afternoon. So we're having a painting event. Well, we have three times the number of people sign up that we had anticipated. Mm-hmm. Because people are desiring community and they've missed that. So mm-hmm. I do feel like we can, you know, have something to offer in that area. So. Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so let me give you a quote by Richard Dawkins and, uh, you know, famous atheist. And uh, what, you know, sometimes what he says is a little out of step with culture. Here's something that he says. I think I'll, I think our culture is right there. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's talking about. Augustine and Augustine's disappointment in himself that he enjoyed stealing, you know, with the the pear incident. And then Dawkins says this, he says, Christian focus is overwhelmingly on sin, 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 sin. What a nasty little preoccupation to have dominating your life. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, you know, I don't want my kids just being dominated by, oh, have I sinned? Was that a sin? Oh my goodness. I'm, you know, but on the other hand is, is, is what we're doing here a nasty little preoccupation? You know, are, is it, are we accomplishing anything by talking about sin and talking about how sin's a big deal? Yeah, well, I mean, sin's a part of everybody's life. It's everybody's struggle. So I do think that we need to think about that. I mean, is there absolute right or wrong 
I mean, in my anthropology class, that's that's one of the things that we do talk about because, you know, the world or, you know, people who aren't adhering to Christian beliefs would say, no, there isn't. In fact, whatever is accepted by the culture at large is fine. And I think most people, Christian or non-Christian, would draw some lines to some of those things. For example, you know, like genocide. That's my most people in the world would say, you know, that is not right. You've got to do something. So, but because there is a push to not recognize that there is a right and wrong, I think as Christians, we have to have this conversation. I mean, if we want to raise our kids, if we want them to really seek God and seek holiness and seek to walk by the spirit, then, then we have to talk about it. Yeah. I was like, no, 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 it's not irrelevant. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I do, I do see his point though, because I, it, I view everything through the lens of um, raising children because that's what I've done for 20 years. And I'm thinking back to when I'm, when you're training a kid under five, Mm -hmm. you've got these really narrow um, boundaries for them, which you expand as they grow and mature and can handle more freedom. But if I like every kid tries lying, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. a developmental stage of brain, you know, the, the development of the brain, they realize like, Oh, wait a second. Like my reality right now my parents don't actually know this. I can deceive them and all this. Well, I panicked, you know, when my first child like started lying, I'm like, no, no. So, um, a very wise person said, okay, yeah, you don't want to allow lying, but you want to lift up the virtue that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. You want to be pointing out every time she's telling the truth and set her up for like easy ways to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. When you know the answer to the question, did you pick up your toys? Cause you've already seen that she did. Mm-hmm. Then you ask her and then you say, yes, that's right. And you tell the truth and we love to tell the truth. So, yeah, I think Richard Dawkins is onto something there. Like we got it. We've got to know where the boundary lines are, but we don't want to just focus on the no, no, no. Yeah. It's like because we because, you know, obedience is freedom. It's, yeah. it's in, in the end, it's freedom. So, yeah, and that goes back to the whole walking by the flesh versus walking by the spirit. So if we're focusing solely on sins, saying sin, 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 you know, like, like was mentioned, then we're focusing definitely on the negative where we need to be focusing not on doing the right thing or the wrong thing, but what's the heart thing? You know, what is going on? What is motivating us? What is driving us? And yeah, I definitely think there needs to be a a correction there. And he does like to write about sin. So. (laughs) And, and you mentioned genocide and how everybody would agree that, yeah, genocide is bad. How much genocide, though, goes back to the 10th of the Ten Commandments, which a lot of people think is just no big deal, but envy, covetousness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Man, that is a, that's a, an inner sin. Mm-hmm. That, man, it wreaks a lot of havoc. Um, speaking of another, you know, what some people would call a nasty little preoccupation, uh, mm-hmm. the devil. Mm-hmm. Um you know, how, how does God depict the devil demons? How, how should we feel about, uh, you know, the devil demons, mm-hmm. it, especially in the context of our, of talking about sin here and, and the, the destructive nature of sin, where does, how does that, you know, how does the reality of the devil and demons, how does that factor in? Yeah, well, there's definitely, there is a spiritual battle going on, you know, and, and we can see that reading through the Bible, we can see from, the very beginning from the garden, 
uh, that there was the spiritual battle. So I think, you know, we talk about the devil. I don't know. Maybe is it because we turned him into a cartoon? But it's almost like we're talking about the tooth fairy sometimes when we're talking about somebody. It was just this little thing. It's not real. He's not real. But there is a spiritual battle. And how does what does he want? He wants to destroy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's something that I, I really talk with my students about. He wants to destroy you. Don't think you can flirt with something. His mm-hmm. ultimate goal is to destroy your life and destroy your faith. Mm-hmm. You know, he's prowling around like a lion, as First Peter 5 mentions, and he's tricky, you know, and you think about the divisions in our churches. I mean, that's got to be heartbreaking. One of the things that breaks my heart is to read Jesus's final prayers before he was arrested, because he talked about how he wanted unity among his believers. And how are people going to know that we're Christians? By our love, you know, and and we will fight about just about anything. I've got something in my pocket that's been actually pretty cantankerous, (laughs) even in churches (laughs) over the past year. And like, why are we fighting about a little piece of, you know, of cloth? I mean, we just get all bent out of shape. And that's that's Satan, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, he will distract. He will use politics. If that can create division, he will use apathy. If that will keep us from Mm -hmm. doing something, he'll use excuses. He'll use self-centeredness. He'll use anything. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at discipleship.org. It's our discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center an auditorium for our main events and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. So I'm thinking, okay, your bachelor's is in psychology. Mm-hmm. I'm a psychology kind of a question. So he, he's a father of lies. That's what uh-huh. Jesus says. He's a father of lies. So um, when we are telling ourselves something that's not true, mm-hmm. that's Satan also whispering um, I mean, I know he tells lies through the culture. Every culture gets right. something right and some things wrong, but personally. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that thinking of psychology terms, so something like negative self-talk and kind of going back to something I've mentioned previously. So like, if we think we're the only person that is having this struggle, if he can separate us out, that creates weakness. And that negative self-talk where we're, you know, it could be anything really, but where we're talking against ourselves, either from a spiritual aspect or even just from like a physical aspect or a friendship aspect or academic aspect, 
I mean, all of those things. He can use all of that to try to make us weaker. And, you know, when, when that happens, he actually has us in a very good place for him to be highly effective. So one of the most difficult things to do, I think, is to really try to see ourselves with the eyes that God sees us. I mean, that's something that we've really got to think about. So how does God see me? You know, does he see me as a sinner? Oh, that worthless, you know, piece of junk over there. She can't do anything right. Or does he see me as his child? And when he sees me as his child, yes, sin, we've got to try to avoid that. We've got to try to understand that. We have to try to walk by the spirit. But at the same time, um, we have to accept God's grace. And I thought for a long time, I kind of deceived myself a bit, if you will, that I was humble. Okay. So I'm humble and I'm not going to think that I'm a good person or easy to forgive. And I'm sure there's many other people that have been in in that position. But when we accept God's grace, I mean, that's actually, you know, humility, not accepting it is actually maybe closer to pride. So, but really accepting, accepting that understanding. We are a new creation in him. I think that's important. That's an important point. Great point. I mean, I've heard that said before. Um, Tim Keller was said when his first little church, he had um, a woman who just, she had this terrible self-talk, terrible self-esteem. I can never be forgiven for the things I've done. And he said, it's actually a form of spiritual pride as if Christ's blood doesn't cover your sins. It covers everybody else's, but you're, you're focusing on yourself too much. Like you said, right. not focusing on how God sees you, his perspective. It's, it's incredibly common. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So we've talked about the strategies of the devil. It's a problem if we don't believe he exists, but how can we, how can we keep that balance that you're just talking about? How can we have a positive self-image, but still be realistic about our sin and know that we're in progress here? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing that we also need to realize is what God's agenda is with us. I mean, he wants us to rest. He wants us to be comfortable in him. He wants us to feel cared for. You know, he's the perfect parent, but his ultimate agenda isn't that we have a positive self-image, it's that we're saved. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think realizing that is also part of that balance. So if we understand that he wants us saved, well, one of the things that I think about is that he will not stop pursuing us until he knows that we're at that point. You know, he, if if we're doing something, if we're deceiving ourselves and we're like, oh, you know, that's fine. Um, I'm it's okay if I dabble in this or it's okay if I'm involved in this activity, even though I'm not sure that it's actually okay, you know, by, by God's standards, Mm -hmm. then he will pursue us and try to get us away from that. And that's, we can hit some bumps in the road. I mean, he's, he's a good parent. Mm -hmm. He's not opposed to putting in a little, you know, (laughs) a little something to get our attention. So um, yeah, just, that balance, I think just kind of recognizing and really thinking about that and just trying to realize what his agenda is for us versus 
you know, I, I even think like the term positive self-image, I mean, that's, that's coming from secular sources, really. So yeah, God wants us to feel comfortable and feel good, but that's not the agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That you're right. It's not the agenda. And I kind of hate that language, but I wrote the questions. That's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a, it's a good point. Uh, there was there was one person that I heard about, um, a professor at a different university, that really wasn't certain if he could accept, like, God's grace. Like, he wasn't sure. And he was an incredible person. But he was talking to his class, and, and he said, I just don't know if I'm saved. I don't know. I don't know if if I'm in, you know, and we're also talking about predestination a little bit here too, Mm. but I think God does want us to really lean into that because that does affect like how we're thinking, how we're feeling affects how we're going to interact with people. And it affects our ministry and it affects our ability to reach out. So it is important. In the end, the positive self-image is really just a, a, a knowledge of the truth of like who you are in Christ. Right. Yeah. I mean, like not just in your brain, but like in every fiber of your being. Yeah. And as yeah. you continue to set aside sin, like, you know, you can test yourself and go, Oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not that person. I was, I'm not right. as far as I want to be, but mm-hmm. look, where, look, look mm-hmm. where I've come. And it's, it's not prideful. It's encouraging. Yeah. And there's actually some things that we can do to help us along this path from kind of a spiritual development standpoint. So one of the things that is kind of the powerhouse of change would be a prayer of reflection at the end of the day. Like, so every night before we go to bed, think back through our day and think, okay, so is there something I could have done differently? Did I handle the situations that I was in correctly? Do I need to make changes? And then just pray about those. And really bring those, you know, before God. So being aware, being reflective, uh, that's definitely going to help. So, oh, that is great advice. So not watching Netflix and falling asleep is not as good. <laughs> uh, you, you, can, you can watch Netflix before, <laughs> as long as it's, you know, a good show. So, and then you can do your prayer of, of reflection afterwards. So, I just love practical little nuggets of advice. That's so practical. Like we could today, yeah. we can all go home and do that. And yeah, God, yeah. And in my, in my history, when I've asked God to show me what he needs to work on, he doesn't lay the whole book out of my life and go, right. here's everything you got to work on. Mm-hmm. You're a mess. He, mm-hmm. he peels back the layers of the onion gently mm-hmm. and kindly, but he doesn't and leave what they are. And another prayer that I think is also important to pray is to pray that our will beat in time with his will for our life. You know, if we're thinking about trying to go towards him, trying to walk by the spirit, well, maybe it's lazy, but I think it's a great prayer. Just, okay, let's, God, let's make this easy. So let my heart, let my desires in my heart be what you want from my life. Yes. So, Yes. Like, I mean, that's, I mean, Jesus says, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said this, but I'm telling you this. He's talking about the heart. You know, mm-hmm. like, if you even think about doing this, if you're even angry or call your brother stupid, mm-hmm. you know, that's coming from a heart that needs some work. Yeah. 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 I want to want the right thing. You're right. Yeah. So Daniel, I'm talking too much. Join no, in. in there. This is great. So taking what we've been talking about here, you know, about our, as a Christian, our response to sin and, 
and, you know, not being too, not letting it beat us down, you know, remembering who we are, our identity in Christ, but yet taking sin seriously. Um, what are maybe two healthy responses to sin that, you know, as a Christian, you know, if I do something like, I know that wasn't right, you know, what are two healthy responses? And you, and you talked about some prayers. I think that's awesome. What are maybe two unhealthy patterns rhythms mm-hmm. we can get into as Christians when when they have fallen into some kind of sin. So a couple yeah. healthy, a couple unhealthy patterns, yeah. rhythms, um, you know, that they can uh, they can help us. Well, I, the first thing I would say would be ignoring it. And that's almost the easiest thing to do. But we can all like even if we have this conversation and we're talking about sin and it's on our radar, if we're not looking at what we're doing, if we're not recognizing the sin, if we're not being intentional to try to find the areas of our life where there needs to be a change, then we're, it's just going to continue. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's a problem. So that would be number one, I think, is just ignoring it. And then number two, justifying. Well, they're doing it. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I hear something like that. It, it could have to do with almost anything. Well, I can do this because they're doing that. Well, what's our standard? Is it what other people are doing? Or is it the Bible? What does the Bible have to say about that? So just always need to go back to the scripture. Ignoring, justifying, what would be a couple, you know, if if you want to repeat the the prayers too, that's great. Hearing that again would be great. But what are a couple really healthy patterns when you know you've done something wrong that mm-hmm. you would encourage a Christian to do? Well, uh, to take the, take the chance to recognize that and, you know, take those opportunities, be reflective about it, make changes. Um, one thing that, uh, that I have done on occasion is just pray that if there is something in my life that is not of God, that he reveal it to me. Don't let me be able to see that because if I can't see it, I can't make changes. And, you know, he's he's pretty faithful with that. And a lot of times it'll be an attitude. Well, okay, so what's an attitude when we start having thoughts? I mean, the Bible talks about taking our thoughts captive and making sure that they're pure. You know, somebody Jesus said, if somebody's even thought about adultery in their heart, they might as well have committed it. Why would he say something that extreme? You know, well, that thought becomes an attitude and then becomes an action. So those things grow. So if there's an attitude I have or a thought that I have, maybe if I'm not even realizing that it's it's not right, I want to identify that. Mm-hmm. And I want to cut it out, you know, as early as possible uh, to try to make sure that that doesn't grow into something else. So that is one thing. How do you cut it out? You know, what, what, yeah. what are rhythms or patterns? It's like, yeah, I, I want to cut this out. So what, what, what can you do? Well, if it's a thought or an attitude, I would say being aware and then talking back, you know, kind of a similar type of thing to the negative self-talk that Renee and I were talking about. Talk back against it or explore it. I mean, listen to other people. Listening is loving. And so when we like, let's say we've got a bad attitude about a group of people or a person, have a conversation, get to know them, listen to them, 
And that can help us understand that maybe, maybe we're not right all the time. Maybe things shouldn't always be done our way, you know, and as Christians and as churches, those are really important lessons, especially right now. So. And if it involves somebody else, like say, I don't know, maybe your husband, <laughs> uh, you probably should go back and try to make it right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Just being sorry inside my heart is seems insufficient. Right. I've actually done something. Right. Actually reaching out, making that connection. Yeah. Is important. Yeah. So. How important is confession? Yeah, that that is a very big topic. I mean, when you confess that you are headed the wrong direction or you've done something wrong, that's basically that's accountability. Mm-hmm. So and being able to say, hey, I did this, mm-hmm. then you have stated it, you have recognized it. It is then public in some way, even if it's just one other person, it's out there. Mm-hmm. So and then the other person knows that that's a struggle and then perhaps they can kind of help you out with it. You definitely want to surround yourself with people that love you, but are not impressed by you. You know, I think that's really important. And that's a mic drop moment right there. Just say that one more time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, for example, um, you know, my husband, we've been married 20, 28 years. If I'm doing the math right. So, but uh, what he's my best friend and he's definitely my ministry partner. But one of the things that um, I love and drives me crazy is when I'm talking about something and I'm frustrated about something, he might come back with, well, uh, I think you have a bad attitude about that. Well, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> You know, don't, don't bring me back to reality, but he'll say, I think, I think you're thinking about that wrong, you know? And so just having people in your life that are willing to do that, Mm. that's going to keep us grounded and hopefully headed the right direction. So, which is back to that community thing we were talking about. Yeah. Essential. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to have conversations. So, yeah. Now. Go ahead, Daniel. I have one more question. So, you know, we talked about the devil a bit, and I think it's safe to say, you know, in in Christian circles, we could all, we could be talking all day long about it. The devil's up to this out in the world, and he's up to this in the culture. Um, Is the devil doing anything in our churches? We we got we got the we got the you know we'll we'll laugh about the proverbial churches that you know they split over the carpet right and we'll split over more fabric issues you know even today but it's never it's never about the thing that they that they actually split over it's never about the carpet you know there's generally there is a long trend of somebody not being heard, somebody not feeling heard. And yeah, I mean, we've got to be honest. We've got to be realistic that the church is not immune to the devil's influence. And that's like humbling and that's that's scary. But the, the big problem with the church is it's made up of people. <laughs> and we're not perfect, you know, and so we automatically, he's got an entrance point and, you know, we'll talk about the sin of pride. I mean, how many things could be like boiled down to us trying to be 
proud about something, get our own way. We don't want to give in. We don't want to listen. We want to assume that the way we've always done it is right or the way we think it needs to be done is the, is the right way. And all of those things that really, it can wreak havoc on a church. And how can pride disguise itself so that it looks like, no, this is actually a really good churchy way to be? Yeah. Well, many ways. Uh, for one, could be having to look perfect. I am perfect. My family is perfect. Everything is perfect. In fact, I was having a conversation about this in my women's ministry class recently, and I was encouraging them with their own kids, like, don't try to make them look a certain way. Mm-hmm. Don't have an argument in the car on the way to church and then say, okay, everybody, you, you know how to act. Like, don't, don't stress the external, stress the internal. Stress actions coming from, you know, what's inside. But that's, that's one thing. And boy, I tell you, um, when you're talking with people from outside the church that are not yet Christians or maybe even were Christians and aren't sure they can come back, when we're trying to be prideful and look like we're perfect, they don't feel like they can fit in. I, I can't, I, there's no way to count the number of times I've heard something like that. So that's one way. And then kind of going back to that leadership piece too, where we're doing the right thing, or we are the best church in town, <laughs> or we're the only right church in town, or we are the only church in town that listens to the community. You know, that, that sense of pride that can feed into all kinds of things. And so um, those are just, I think, two major ways we can see that. So, so I'm thinking you're making me think about Ephesians, um, where Paul talks about, you know, the spiritual forces Mm-hmm. I mean, like our battle is really not yeah. against this person across the aisle from me. No. There's so there's like a spirit of pride mm-hmm. that's maybe afflicting someone, and there's a spirit of division. Mm-hmm. And would you agree with that? That it's Absolutely. like we believe, like personally, we can be plagued by lies from Satan, but then there's forces at work, you know, in our churches. So, you know, it would give us grace with each other, but is there benefit in praying a particular way? Um, about that, about that element of the problem? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think, well, for starters, especially if there's any hint of some kind of issue in church, praying for the other person, that that's huge. I mean, that will absolutely change you if you're praying for the other person. Uh, many people have kind of dabbled in the gratitude journals and everything. I mean, that will change the way you think. Mm-hmm. And if we pray for the person that we're not sure we can get along with, focus on our actions, our attitudes, asking God to change that, you know, redeem that. That's going to be, you know, that's going to be huge. So I think, I think that's important. And then just also being humble, you know, having humility. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that's good. Almost like sin has a lot of power until somehow the spell is broken by humility or, mm-hmm. or by praying for somebody. Um, now that's, that's really, helpful. And it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. The walls that can come up um, in, in my work with the female students. One of the things that I do see on occasion is somebody feels that distance between them and God. And it almost, it becomes a wall. They don't know how to get past it. And they can't even pray, you know? And so sometimes just 
just sitting there with somebody who is really feeling and struggling uh, with a sin or with their own sinfulness, or, you know, even if they're just angry at God and can't, can't seem to have a conversation with them anymore, encouraging them to pray. And I try to encourage them to pray out loud. That is something that really takes some big chinks out of that wall. And once that wall starts coming down, it it's a lot easier for it to come down. So. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thanks for having me. It's been yeah. good to be with you all. I didn't, uh, did you expect to get so encouraged, Daniel, <laughs> talking about sin? <laughs> well, it was, it was very helpful practically as well as it was very insightful. And that's yeah. a conversation. Wow. I agree. I agree. It was fun to get a chance to talk with you all this morning. So I enjoyed it myself. Thanks, Anessa. Thank you. Well, Renee, what did you, what, what stuck out to you? What, what were you, uh, what did you most appreciate about that? Well, I really enjoyed that conversation with Anessa. And I, I honestly, I wasn't um, expecting kind of where she went towards the end. So I really liked that perspective of how we can keep like a realistic view of ourselves and our sin, but not feel so horrible about ourselves. So I work with a lot of young women and, um, it's surprising to me how many of them feel really bad about themselves. They're just constantly Mm -hmm. telling themselves um, lies, you know, that they're not good enough. They're constantly looking to someone else to see how they measure up. And instead of people who already believe in Jesus and they're, they already have accepted his forgiveness. Yes. Yeah. Guilt. Yes. They're not living in freedom. You know, the freedom that we have in Christ and yet much less a a person who doesn't even um, trust and follow Jesus. I mean, it's, it's certainly epidemic walk into any Christian bookstore, any regular bookstore and look at all the self-help stuff for women about, Mm -hmm. you know, that you're enough and you're, you know, all this self-esteem stuff. And it gets on my last nerve because it's like, no, you're not enough (laughs) because that's a lie. Like, Christ is enough. Mm-hmm. And, and I can, I have the freedom to um, try to conquer sin because the verdict's already in, like I'm already declared not guilty. So there's total freedom to try and fail. There's total freedom to repent and not feel horrible about yourself. But, uh, you know, at least for a lot of women, because that's who I work with, they're not telling themselves that they're feeling terrible about themselves. They're living with chronic guilt or lies. And, um, and that's a real problem because it leaves sin like unaddressed. Mm-hmm. You're not dealing with it because you can't, right? You can't face the truth about yourself. And the truth is, first of all, God is really gentle. You know, when I've asked him to like show me what I need to repent of, he never <laughs> rips open my heart and says, okay, here's all the things you're worse than you thought. <laughs> He's gentle. Like there's layers that he, I mean, yeah. it's a journey, right? There's layers that he uncovers it through your life. And he's not going to um, hammer you with, with some reality about yourself. You can't handle. I mean, I, I firmly believe that. And scripture, you know, tells us, you know, at the, at heart, like we love our rebellion. We do love it and we get something from it. Um, but there's hope in Christ. He gives us the Holy spirit to tutor us, mentor us, give us a new way of thinking, give us an empower us to behave a certain way, to connect with him in prayer, even when we can't get the words out ourselves. 
So there's so much good news there. But if we get bogged down in the guilt and the feeling horrible about ourselves, we never actually move forward into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a story in the Gospels about the woman who had a sinful um, reputation, and she pours the perfume on Jesus' feet. She she kisses his feet. She um, you know wets his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair, and just this this elaborate display of love and. Jesus says, well, you know, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Um, But he who has been forgiven little loves little. And so, I mean, we've all been forgiven of an incredible amount of sin. Um, You know, we've been forgiven of it all. Um, And so we should be among the ones who just love profusely and receive that grace. And I think so often there's a disconnect. Um, that that leaves us kind of in that state of well I'm I'm still such a you know such a, a loathworthy person and um I, I as we close we got like you know one minute or so but I mean how how do you think we can help people and help ourselves to kind of make that connection between we've been forgiven of yeah some really sinful stuff uh, and so let's live in freedom and let's live in joy and let's um, let's worship Jesus out of the abundance of the gratitude, um, just like that woman. Any, any thoughts on that? My first thought is um, the article Bobby Harrington wrote last week for our interview with Matt Bates, um, that like we all need an elevator speech of the gospel, not only so we can tell other people, but so we can tell ourselves. Mm. Like you need your own mm. elevator speech for the gospel to remind yourself of the truth. Like the truth is by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. So it's not either or it's not like I'm, I'm not quite holy. And so I'm not perfect. No, my status is perfect in Christ. My status is perfect. He makes all things new heaven and earth and me and you, Mm. but I'm also getting to participate in the process. And that, that actually becomes fun when you have the security of knowing like you're kept in his perfect love, it, the trying actually becomes an adventure and not a drag and not scary and, and not bad. It's actually beautiful. So you got to have that gospel elevator speech. I think to just, we're none of us is immune to falling prey to lies and, and thoughts that aren't true. And so you got to constantly tell yourself the truth. Mm, That is, that's so good. So if, if we're dealing with chronic guilt or kind of self-hatred or whatever, we don't need less gospel. We need more of it. We need the yes. full thing. Yes, yes, absolutely. And you were talking about a prayer that you pray that I, I think is really helpful. Will you share that? We have time to? Yeah, we- absolutely. So, you know, I, I feel like culturally, uh, a lot of people you know, see God as less than what he really is. A lot of people see sin as not really that sinful. A lot of people see grace. If they, if they see God and sin is not that big a deal, they're going to see grace is not that big a deal. And so I've, I've been praying, you know, God, help me to see you as God and help me to see sin as sinful. And those two go together. If I see God as God, then I'll be able to see sin as sinful. And if I see God as God, and if I see sin as sinful, then the third prayer, you know, I'm able to say, God, help me to see grace as amazing. And then it's from that, um, that perspective of God is God, sin is sinful, grace is amazing. But then I'm able to pray that fourth prayer. And that is help me to see other people as myself. 
In other words, help me to love other people as if, you know, it's, it's me. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's really helpful. Hopefully that's helpful for somebody uh, who's watching. That's great. I love that. Uh, this has been a great conversation. I actually love talking about sin. I just think it's really helpful and it's out of vogue. So yeah. many thanks to Anessa for joining us for that great conversation. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you yeah. next week. David All Young, right. Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Well, there you have it. I hope that you enjoyed that episode today. Thanks so much for listening. And I just want to remind you that we do have a National Disciple Making Forum coming up November 4th and 5th this year, 2021, in Nashville, Tennessee. You can go to discipleship.org and purchase your tickets today. So you're not going to want to miss out on that. So go do that today. All right, y'all. I hope to see you on the next episode. Stay safe out there. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.